The Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction, with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, is not here today, but I had the pleasure to sit down with a fantastic guest and friend of the podcast instead. She goes by the name of Barbie, or Venomous Barbie Online, and we chatted about her experience going from writing original fiction to fanfiction, as well as about a topic that is of great interest to the both of us, writing in another language. Just like me, Barbie is French, but unlike me, she writes in both her native language and in English. In this episode, we explore the reasons why we, just like so many other writers online, write in English as a second language, dive into the struggles and advantages of having two cultures to draw from, and give some tips and tricks about how to perfect your English prose. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. This is Joe, and before we start, I wanted to mention that we're currently recording this episode in June, but it's going to air in August. The reason for that is that Lani and I are trying to record as many episodes as we can to accommodate for our summer holidays and still make sure that you guys have content to consume wherever you choose to spend your summer holidays. So please, if any major world event has happened in between now and August that we're not acknowledging here, it's because sadly we can't predict the future. You never know what might happen in the world these days, so I just thought I'd put this out there. Anyway, I'm super excited to be recording this episode today because although Lani is not here, which is sad, it's our first episode featuring a guest. We're going to talk about a lot of fun things, including original fiction and writing in another language, but first, Barbie, how are you? Hi, Joe. I'm great. I'm uh, just surviving the heat wave and just a lot of things happening at work, but I'm really excited to be here today. Well, it's certainly great to have you on. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and introduce yourself in the world of fan fiction? Yeah, so totally. I'm a 20-something aspiring novelist. I've been saying this for years. <laughs> um, I've been writing for nearly 20 years now, and I feel really old saying this. Uh, with roughly an equal amount of original fiction and fan fiction as well. Uh, and currently I'm more, you know, in my fan fiction era, but I do have, and I do have two works in progress in that regard. But original fiction is still you know, very much in there, in the running. That's so interesting. And we're going to talk about that and like original fiction in a bit. But first of all, I was just wondering, like, what fandoms are you in? So I'm really only in Harry Potter in terms of like actual fandom involvement. But I read, uh, I also read fan fictions from different other fandoms like Arcane, Shadow and Bone, uh, Star Wars as well. That's great. And do you write specific, a specific genre or, or specific ships? So ship wise, I'm really liberal with my choices. I actually enjoy rare pairs a lot and I try to go through a lot of those. Um, but so far I've only written heterosexual or like femme slash in terms of ships. And genre-wise, I have a really strong connection for horror, dark comedy, and social satire. These are like my three main genres. That's so interesting. I was looking at your AO3 when you sent it to me, and it's so, like, it seems so varied. Like, you write a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I like to try out new things. I'm not a fan of, there's a lot of things that I don't particularly enjoy and would probably not write. But genre-wise, I've always read so many different types of books, and I've always wanted to experiment with my writing. So I think it's really reflected my fan fiction. That that's something that's been told to, to me by my friends uh, in fandom a lot. One of them said that I have an odd combo of genre and pairing, which I think is, is actually an acute like, description of me. That's so cool. Um, and so who's your favorite writer and story? So this, like, this changes regularly. Um, currently, my favorite author is Christelle Dabos, who is a Belgian writer. And um, my, my favorite books are her, her series called The Mirror Visitor Quartet, just four books. It's one of the more, more unique and original fantasy sagas that I've ever come across. And so I'm currently reading the last book. It's really exhilarating and I'm loving it. 
That's so cool. So I guess one of the main questions that I wanted to ask you is how did you come to fan fiction? I know you've just mentioned that you write both original fiction and fan fiction. So kind of how did you come to fan fiction? So actually completely by accident. In my early teens, I was on this like very popular blog platform for French teens uh, called Skyblog, if, if anyone out there knows it. Yeah, I think I mentioned it in the first episode. <laughs> It was super popular. Um, everyone was on it. And I, they had, I think, a sort of featured page. Now, obviously, my memory is not exact. And I, I definitely wasn't as sophisticated as some of the algorithms that we have now. But you could browse through new blogs. And I stumbled upon um, 90210 and One Tree Hill fan fiction. And I binged a lot of it. The thing is, I didn't even know that these two things were shows. I was actually really shocked because all the photos used by these these stories had the exact same actors in them. And I was like, how do they all know to use the same people? And I later found out they were actual shows. And then through my constant like stumbling from blog to blog, I found a Sevmayumi story with a cross, uh, a cross post to fanfiction.net. And I think at that moment is really when fan fiction, like the, the concept clicked for me because I knew the Harry Potter saga, whereas I hadn't seen either of the shows that I was reading with fan fiction for. Um, and I went to fanfiction.net and really the rest is, uh, is history at this point. That's so cool that you were reading stuff that you didn't even know existed as like an original material. Because I think we were talking, I think it was in the first or the second episode where Lani and I were talking about like, certain writers even going as far as like writing fan fiction for original materials they've never even seen before <laughs> or read and I think it's so cool that you were reading those things and not really knowing like even the source material I suppose and I know you mentioned to me which I think is very interesting that you started writing original fan fiction and then got into uh, fan fiction and so I was wondering if you want to like kind of talk to me about that a little bit because because it's kind of unusual yeah absolutely so I was a very imaginative kid it worried my parents a lot because I was always out in dream world and when I was about eight years old I actually started writing and of course you know I was eight so it was you know they were very short stories maybe a page long and they were always incomplete and they were terribly written but I was getting out of all these ideas. I was putting them out there and just kind of relieving them from myself. And it, it was just kind of, I don't know, this thing that I really wanted to, to do without being able to explain why. And then I was eight and I stumbled upon fan fiction when I was 13. And at this point, I'd been writing for five years. Uh, so obviously kind of on and off and nothing like over 700,000 words that we can see today because I was a kid. But I was writing a lot every day. I had a diary. I was writing poetry and fiction, and I had a, a blog as well. So just not a day that I wasn't writing. And when I found fan fiction, for me, there was this sense of this could be a way to improve my writing. Now, I know I've heard a lot of people uh, say that going to original fiction for fan fiction can be kind of daunting. There's this idea that it, that just like, there's just so much more to do. Uh, but for me, fan fiction at the time was actually more daunting because it was removing a lot of the kind of unbridled freedom that I had with original fiction. Um, because at the time, I was convinced that there were like these set rules, like no out of character characterizations. You have to keep canon compliant in a sort of way, like in spirit, even if you're writing alternate universes. And obviously, these are not set rules. People don't have to respect them. But the landscape 14 years ago was very different. And also at the time, there was a huge respect for Canon and J.K. Rowling specifically. Um, so a lot of people were more inclined to kind of follow these rules. And so I, I was inclined to do so as well. And losing that freedom was kind of daunting for me. It was like, I can't, I have, there's a set audience out there. They have their ideas and their views and their opinions and their likes and dislikes about these characters and the settings you put them in. So you can't do it wrong and especially because fan fiction has a tendency to flame authors it's a website you know it's a hellscape kind of and and people can be really mean on there so you have you have a desire to do right and but the thing is at the same time for me it was it was kind of great not to have to think really about world building and, and characters because even the most unidimensional characters uh, in canon you have a kind of set template for them you know who they are 
more or less how they are related to the other characters, and you can build from that. Original fiction, you have a blank slate, you have nothing, and you have to do it all yourself. And to be quite honest, world building and character creation is super tedious, and I don't particularly enjoy it myself. So, you know, I think I entered from this perspective of I want to improve my writing. I'm starting, you know, I want to try new rules and I want to challenge myself. A lot of people join fandom, I think, because first of all, they want to connect to the story that they loved so much. And then as they figure it out, they're like, I'm, I actually love writing as well. And I want to move on and expand to bigger and different things. For me, it was coming from a broader perspective and narrowing things down. So it was kind of the opposite uh, situation, really. That is so interesting because I think what you're saying about, you know, the way that fan fiction is like, has like this set of rules and that you must like either obey or disobey, but at least like there's a set, there's a set of rules. I think for me, that's the reason why I gravitated towards it as well, but because, but also why I mostly write canon compliant stuff because I think for me, it's like, I love kind of playing within that game and having those bond boundaries and trying to find ways to like be original, but also comply with the boundaries. I find it's like a puzzle you're trying to solve, you know, whereas like if you if I want to write AU or if I want to write something like that has like a much broader reach or whatever, like that kind of contradicts canon or whatever, then I'm more there. I'm more drawn to just write original fiction. Like I'm like, do you know what? If I'm going to have to go through the whole process of building an an AU, then I'm like, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to like write the whole thing and like actually write original fiction. So it's really interesting what you're saying. Yeah, I'm definitely more in the middle now. Like, I personally don't think people should obey any kinds of rules. Like, I'm not here to polish, like, anyone's work. But when it comes to my own, even if I'm writing an alternate universe, it has to be canon compliant in spirit, which means the characters have to be similar to mm -hmm. how they are in the books, their relationships the same. And even if it's a completely different world, even if I've removed the magic or whatever, like, I've written a story, uh, The Hunting of Kevin Amana, where I've used Hogwarts as a reference, and the characters, Pansy and Hermione, were, were together in school, and Pansy was grilling Hermione, just like in the books. But I did remove Hogwarts and the magic and everything that I kept in spirit with canon compliance. Because in, it's the same way as you. I feel like if I'm completely remove the canon compliance, then I might as well write original fiction, which I've already been doing for years, and I'm already comfortable enough with. I think some people are just not interested in that, and that's fine, because their hobby is fan fiction, and it's not so much about the writing, it's more about the fandom, which is a different perspective, but it's just, just as valid, it's just different. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And so, what are, to, to you, because you're still writing both, right? You still write, like, even if right now you're more in a fan fiction phase, you're still writing both, so, like, what do you get from each um sort of like fan fiction and original fiction what is the what is the good thing and the bad thing about each do you think fan fiction has immediate rich reach sorry it's mm -hmm. actually you know you get an audience fairly quickly even if you're not super present on social media you are going to get people who are interested in your writing and you're going to get immediate feedback from people who don't know you and don't have a vested interest in being nice because they know you so that's a really good thing. I think it has really helped me build confidence and also take criticism uh, with more distance. And that's a really good positive. On the other hand, fan fiction, I feel, doesn't, as much as it, I love the stories I'm writing, I'm still limited by the scope of the fact that I'm writing from a canon story. So I feel like I'm not being as original or interesting or unique um, as I could be with original fiction. Original fiction, on the other hand, its main inconvenience is how lonely it is. When you're unpublished and you're doing it on your own, you know, I had my friends in middle school and high school who kind of read my stuff, and I think they liked it, but they, they weren't readers, they weren't super interested, I think, and they were being nice, and I could never tell exactly what they thought. Uh, my parents weren't really invested in, in reading my stuff, and my blog was just not really, didn't really have an audience, because it was, like, who does it reach, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a very lonely experience, and it's kind of like walking in the dark and just kind of, you know, moving your hands about and trying to feel things for yourself. But I would say that adversely, the, the 
advantage is that you're really building on something on your own and it really forces you to exercise an amount of creativity that you probably wouldn't have to use in fan fiction. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's what we were talking about as well in the first episode with Lani is that, you know, like you write, like that was my experience of writing original fan, original fiction, um, at least for me, is that if you don't have like a real life writing group or reading group or whatever, you know, like people who, other people who do that in real life, it is incredibly lonely. And even when you do publish, if you're kind of a small author, you might never hear from the people who read your stuff. Like, even if you, like, even if it's published online or whatever, you, you might not even hear from the people who read it. And so it's like, it's incredibly lonely compared to fan fiction, I think. And I think you've definitely, like, struck a chord there. Like, I think that's very true. I was wondering, what are your thoughts, as someone who writes both, what are your thoughts about, like, all the discourse about how fan fiction is, like, less than original writing? Like, do you have any opinions on that? I do have some opinions. I think the problem with that discourse is that you only ever hear two extremes. One of them is, all fan fiction is terrible, it's not original, and it's bad. And the other is... Um, something that I've seen on Tumblr a little bit on Twitter as well is people who say, but you know what, fan fiction writers, most of you are so much better than all the screenwriters and novelists that I know. And it's like, neither of those are true. Mm-hmm. There's a middle ground. Uh, it's the same way people who say, well, everything is fan fiction. That's not exactly true either. Uh, I've studied some literature and of course, inter- intertextuality is a huge component of literature, has always been classic and modern, whatever you want. So referencing other people's work or taking inspiration or adapting it like Greek myth has been adapted and readapted by many classical playwrights and novelists as well who are not any less valid as like actual authors but it's not exactly the same as fan fiction and it doesn't mean that fan fiction is bad it just means that we can't just all put it to the same level to defend I think in the effort to defend fan fiction writers which is something that I support we're sometimes crossing the line into the things that we're saying there is a middle ground. Um, obviously, a lot of fan fiction writers are really good, but that's be- just because the, pro- the amount of people who are writing fan fiction is so enormous that the proportion makes it look like in absolute numbers, so many of them are super stellar. But I think in reality, in terms of proportion, we're looking at the same kind of, you know, at the same kind of percentage. And you also have to think about the fact so many people write fan fiction not to be writers, they're doing it because it's fun for the community aspect, just because they want to expand on the story and they're not that interested in, in more than that. I have quite a few people that I know in fandom who say, you know what, I'm writing something that's okay-ish. I'm not invested in writing the next great novel. I'm not invested in going beyond that. It's just because I'm, ha- I'm having fun. So a lot of these people recognize themselves that their writing is not necessarily amazing, but they're having fun and that's what matters. So I think that you know, we should kind of be looking at the kind of nuanced argument. Fan fiction can be excellent. It can be terrible as well. Original work can be excellent. It can also be absolutely terrible. But I think either way, it's, you know, it's the case for both. I think what really struck support to me is that people think I can be just as direct in my opinion about fan fiction as I can be about original writing which if it's about a published person who has an entire team working with them, who has, like, you know, the editor's office, the filtering through comments on Goodreads or, or the press or whatever, it's very different from a person who's alone at home and receiving like, comments directly in, in their inbox um, and who is not supported by a team who's doing this on their own, maybe they have a beta, you know, maybe not. So I think that in that entire discourse, we tend to forget that these are just very different situations and instead of having discourse about it maybe we should exercise a little bit more empathy because a lot of fan fiction writers are just like very normal people with normal lives and it can be so cutthroat when you receive a terrible comment and i'm sure people who've been published can also be devastated by a bad critique but they have a bigger support system in their professional network to support them so at the end of the day both can be terrible and both can be great but we're just talking about very different sets of circumstances yeah you're completely right i think people i don't want to say forget but i think people kind of don't pay attention to the fact that fan fiction writers don't have a team of people 
dealing with like their promo and their feedback and you know all these engagement things the way that professional authors would have like it's just us it's just ourselves and you know you think about like for instance me I don't like I don't have like a huge rate reach I'm not like super popular but there's certain people who really are and like you know they get like hundreds of thousands of comments and it's like I I don't even know how they deal with it because for me personally so I think around May and June of last year of 2021 I published like kind of a number of one shots and also a chapter in my long work that got a lot of traction at once like in two months my reach kind of tripled over what I was used to and it got overwhelming like as thankful and like grateful as I was for all the comments and everything and all the engagement it was just like materially just overwhelming in my day today like just getting that amount of engagement because the thing is like even when it's nicer comments or you know people have like strong opinions and feelings and they share things with you and of course there's also like the very constructive criticism that you might get and sometimes you're just not in the right mindset like sometimes you're just you know you're just at work and then there's like this comment that comes into your inbox and you have to and you kind of read it because of course it comes into your phone and then you're like oh my god and then it kind of clogs your brain for no reason and like the way I ended up dealing with it and what I would definitely recommend for people who might like find themselves in this situation is sort of like there's a feature on AO3 where you can um disable that feature of like comments getting directly into your inbox and I now like I've stopped doing it but for a very long time I just ended up like scheduling in on the weekends times to like look at the comments and that kind of gave me the focus to just be able to look at the comments in a time that I was able to really like read them, dissect them, respond to them and give them the consideration that I wanted to give them. But that wouldn't have been possible when, you know, you just get that kind of feedback in your day to day. And it's just like it's overwhelming and you're just like, oh my God, I need to respond to this. And you actually don't like you don't need to respond to it right away. And I think that was really helpful for me but it was something that I had to learn and you know I'm just one person like I try to answer all of my comments and I try to interact with people as much as possible but yeah it's like you need to remember that fan fiction writers first of all do it for free but also they're just one person and all this being said obviously I'm lucky enough that I never experienced like outward like rage in my comments which I know some people experience like I'm lucky enough that my readers are very nice and great people and have like great thoughts and stuff and when I do get criticism most of the time it's very constructive but I do know that like some people especially on fanfiction.net for some reason that some people actually get like rage and that's a real problem as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually really glad that AO3 is implementing, has implemented the blocking feature. Yeah. Uh, I think it's something that's really lacking. I, I know someone who, who's writing this really enormous fiction and it is, it's very popular. It's crossover. And they've been, they've been getting harassed by this one person who's been la- leaving like really flaming rage comments that are just absolutely unhinged and insane. Um, but even if you can tell they're insane, you know, it's going to affect you. And, and that person, uh, that I, I was talking to them and I was like, well, can you block on AO3? And they were like, well, you can't. So I'm kind of stuck receiving those. Um, and I think that's, you know, but the thing is, even if you, you have blocking and you have all these measures, these are all things that we have to implement ourselves and you have to, have to create everything ourselves. And so we're doing the work of, you know, a marketer, a writer, a community manager, all of these things rolled into one. And I think just to this, there should be just a general sense of more empathy and, and niceness towards fan fiction writers in general. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, so we're going to move on now to our main discussion today, which is basically writing in a language that is not your own, because you might not be able to hear it, but Barbie is actually not a native English speaker either. So can you tell us a little bit about what language do you speak and what, what languages language or languages you write in? So I'm fluent in French, English, and Spanish, um, but French is my native language. 
I can speak some Italian, Russian, like conversationally. Um, and I actually write in English and in French. There was a time where I wrote in Spanish and that lasted maybe three weeks. I mean, I'm so impressed because like when when you wrote that, so to, full disclosure, I do have like a prep doc uh, for like preparing episodes and things so that we don't ramble on too much. And you wrote all of that. And I was like, well, I speak French and English and that's it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but, uh, as most of you know, by now, like, I think I've spoken about it on the podcast, I do speak French and English and I only write in English. And so I think one of the things that I really want to talk to you about, and I think we'll talk about it later on, but it's kind of like the fact that you still write in both. And I find that like very fascinating, fascinating. And I have loads of questions about that. But first of all, I also wanted to ask you, what language do you read in? So I read in French, English, and Spanish. I'm a lot slower in Spanish still, but I do enjoy reading in it. I think it's a beautiful language. Fan fiction-wise, I actually used to only read in French when I was a teenager. And now I read mostly in English, but it's, if I find a good French fic, then I'm going to read it in French. Uh, and in terms of actual like published books, uh, it's a 50-50%. Like, I will, if I find the book interesting... I will read it in whatever original language is, if it's either French or English, sometimes Spanish. Um, and if I'm looking for a translation, I'm going to be looking for the translation that looks best to me, uh, whether it's French or English. Yeah, that's funny. I do that as well with the translations. Like if it's something, if it's a language that I don't speak, I'm always like, oh, would it be better in English or in French? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the translator is, is not good in either of the languages, so I want to check out both because I have that opportunity. I might as well use it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so you mentioned you started writing in French and then switched to English. Now you write, you still write in both. Um, so what do you think is different between both of that? Like what, what, where do you think the differences are? And like what made you switch? Right. So yeah, I only, we only write in English now. Um, I do intend on writing in French again. It's a very different experience. First of all, these languages, just on a very objective level, are completely different. They don't have the same roots. They don't have the same grammar, uh, vocabulary. You know, there's some some similarities, but it's also completely different. Uh, syntax and then flow of language, all of these elements, objectively different. In terms of the actual experience, like, why would I pick one over the other? This is something that I don't really have the answer to. I have one answer, but I don't think I have them all. I used to think, I used to write in French mostly because I used to think that French was more like poetic. But that's just because I was speaking French well enough that I could read classic literature. But I was speaking English at an okay level. And I could only really read like middle school level literature which isn't bad, but it just, it wasn't the same kind of level that I was, that I was having in French. Then, you know, I, I, I started practicing English a lot more. I got my C2 certification and everything. So I was becoming really fluent in English and I was reading a lot more and I was still writing in French. And I think my, my reasoning for this, um, is because I was living in English speaking countries at the time and I was, I had no connection to my French heritage. At home, we were speaking French. But that was it. In school, I was speaking in English. Uh, outside in the entire world, like everything was in English around me. And so French, I was feeling such a disconnection to it. And I think that that's why I wanted to keep that part of my heritage alive through my writing. And I actually only figured this out way later in 2019 when I switched to English because it was going the other way around. I had moved back to France in 2017 and I hadn't written for the first, these first two years where I moved back. I was just, I was working a very difficult job. I just didn't have the time or the headspace to do it. And in summer 2019, I started working the, the night shift. And I had a lot of downtime between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. Nothing was happening at work. Most of my colleagues were napping. And I was like, I'm going to write because I haven't done it in two years. And I pulled out this, this, this piece of, of, a, of, um, of a story that I'd been stuck on for three years that I hadn't been able to write. I'd written maybe three pages in it. It was the middle of the story that I imagined. And I couldn't go further than this. And on a complete whim, I started writing it in English. And all of a sudden, it came pouring out of me. And I think at that point, I realized I've been disconnected from the English-speaking world for about two years. I don't really use English in my everyday life. Sometimes it works and it's kind of boring. And 
finding that connection through writing is really what what did it for me. So I think it, that was one. That's one of the major differences for me was it was it was a question of heritage. But I don't really have any more explanations. Everything about it is a gut feeling. It's a sensation. It's not something that I'm able to explain in any kind of meaningful, logical way other than this. That's fascinating because, like. As I said to you, I think, um, like before, before recording, I, so I think we have a little bit of a similar thing because I, so I started, so obviously I grew up in France and I became fluent in English. I was like 13, 14, something like that. And I started writing in English because everything around me was in, was in French. And, but like for me, it wasn't really a heritage because mo- both, both of my parents are French. It was more that like everything that I didn't like was in French, like school was in French. And obviously I was a teenager. So like my parents were in French and all of that stuff. And so like English sort of became a secret language. It was kind of like this, you know, this thing that I had for me that I was able to like, write in that like no one else could understand and also because like most people in France especially at the time didn't really speak English or didn't speak English that well so it felt a bit still the case today yeah I mean less so but (laughs) still and so yeah I think it was just like it was just something that I wanted to do because it was like the safe place for me um and I think that's like very interesting because I don't know, but now that I do live in an English-speaking country, like I live in Ireland now, and I still write in English, like I've never gone back to writing in French, and I think I've spoken on Tumblr about it, but I think it's because, to me, like, obviously, the more you write, the more you learn certain skills, right? Like, you learn the way you turn your your sentences that what sounds good what looks good what you'd like what you don't like and you learn you basically learn to write like of course certain people are like I don't really believe in like talent really like I believe in hard work (laughs) and so for me everything that I've learned now has been in English and I wouldn't be able I don't think I would be able to like transfer those skills into writing in French so like that's kind of that's kind of my thing but I think for you maybe you've kind of done both at the same time so you wouldn't you wouldn't have that problem yeah it's kind of odd because I did write in English a little bit when I was 13 and I recently found a document with that story because I keep everything I've ever written just like just for my sake and I came across it and it was absolutely terrible it was one of the worst things I've ever written it had French words in the middle being put as like completely normal but not French words that you commonly hear or use in English so it was it was horrible and the moment that I switched to English officially in 2019 that was uh, what 11 years later it came to me so naturally so I don't know what happened there but I think because in the meantime I was schooled in English I wrote essays and I read a lot of English literature I think it was kind of building up within me without being ever really mm-hmm. expressed um, and it kind of I don't know it kind of obviously between 2019 and now I've made a lot of progress I think I've worked on it really hard because I think that looking back at what I wrote in 2019 it's okay but it's not it's not great but I don't know it's it's I can't explain it. a lot of this for me is so instinctual yeah I wanted to talk to you as well about uh the question of audience because so when I was like preparing for this episode and when I was thinking about like the topics that we could talk about and things like that um I went on reddit as you do and I, <laughs> I looked and I looked at what people were discussing on Reddit on this particular topic. And a lot of, I saw a lot of Europeans, especially, or like South Americans, saying they were writing in English because it had a wider reach, like online. And like, for me, maybe I was like a naive teenager and like completely stupid, but that never really mattered to me. And I was wondering if like, that was something that you ever considered. Not really. Audience doesn't, I'm not really in it for the clout. Mm -hmm. Because if I was, I wouldn't be writing the genres that I am. And even if I cared, the French fan fiction community is super active they have a whole forum they have like on fanfiction.net like if you publish something in french at least in the harry potter fandom because i obviously don't i don't know many other other fandoms in terms of engagement and stuff uh but if you go to the french harry potter fandom 
in fanfiction.net and you publish in French, you are going to get similar numbers in terms of views and visitors as you would in English. Oh, wow. So I think for others, it's probably the case. Like, I don't, I think for other languages, except probably Russian, Russian is very mm-hmm. popular in fanfiction, but I think for other languages, uh, Finnish, German, um, maybe not Spanish, but definitely a lot of other languages would absolutely get more reach in English. But for me, the question kind of, I mean, obviously I look at my stats, I'm not going to pretend that I don't care. I care a little, but I don't care enough that it would impact my decision in terms of language or content even. Yeah, that's very interesting. I I personally feel the same. So I'm probably not that, like, I wish maybe we had a different point of view to like, <laughs> discuss all this. But yeah, I completely agree. And I think, but I do think, like, the concern about reach and audience does say a bit about the way maybe that things will change a little bit in terms of, like, people writing in different languages because and especially like writing in English to reach a wider audience I was thinking you know when you look at like literature like actual published books like there are authors who write in languages that are not their own like Kerak and Beckett are notable examples of like so Kerak was French speaking and wrote in English and Beckett was in, was Irish and wrote in uh, French But those are usually tied to like immigration or like where they lived or like how close they were or whatever. Whereas now you're, you're going to have like an entire generation of millennials and Gen Z writers who kind of emerge these days in English and learn to write in English completely off of the internet, like not having lived in that country at all, which I find is like absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, I don't think it's entirely new. I think the issue as well is accessibility. Putting it on the internet is really easy. You're three clicks away. If you have an internet connection and a, even just a phone, you don't even have to have a computer, then you're able to type your thing and post it as you go. Getting published is already a difficult process in your own language. Um, in any country that I've heard of, in France, you can directly submit your manuscript, but the l- likelihood of it being read is pretty low. And in the United States, from my understanding of things, you need to get an agent first. You will then contact publishing houses, and it's just a long and drawn out and difficult process. And I think for this reason, if you're additionally, if you're, let's say you're German and you're writing in English, so obviously your audience probably wouldn't be in the majority in Germany, right? So you'd have to publish in the UK or the US or Australia in the three like main English speaking countries. Well, how would you go about this legally? Like how would you be paid? How would an agent be able to work with you if you're in a different country with different laws? And I think that's a part of it. I think there's a difficulty, the inherent difficulty to the entire process that kind of forces you to keep within your rank, so to speak. So your language and your country and your laws, whereas the internet is just so vast and limitless and kind of doesn't have any frontiers. So you can do, you know, whatever the hell you want. You can make up a new language and you can post it in that new language and, and it doesn't matter so much. So I think maybe self-publishing will definitely show a difference in this. More and more people are using, you know, like Kindle direct publishing and, and websites like that to to post their own stories and at this point they can make their decision and if they've been writing in English this entire time for fan fiction or for whatever other things they've been writing or blog or, or anything else they can just make that call themselves and I think public Traditional publishing uh, is still so restrictive and it's taking a long time to catch up to the new trends. Um, and, and I think maybe if, if it starts to adapt, then we would see a real change in terms of traditionally published literature. Obviously, there's a little conjecture. I don't actually have any facts to support this. Um, but based on, on the knowledge that I have, this is how I, I, I think about the, thing, the, the issue. Yeah, I completely agree, but I think it's like, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm kind of excited to see what happens next. And so I was wondering, um, you did mention earlier that you grew up in France and then moved to an English speaking country. It did that affect the way you write in English or in French and like how did your kind of fluency and maybe the way you write was affected by like actually living in that country? Yeah so we moved when I was eight and I started writing I think shortly after we moved maybe six months or so so I think I even I think I even started writing because I was frustrated to be in, in a country where I didn't speak the language and I had difficulty communicating I think that was also part of it. Learning a new language when you're eight 
is not so difficult because when you're a kid, you absorb everything, but it's still very isolating. You're alone in this country. I mean, obviously, I have my parents, but uh, kids my age all spoke a language that I didn't understand, and I was I was struggling to learn, and it was taking me a long time. So when even but even when I started writing in French, at this point, I'd been there. You know, when I started writing for real, like eight to nine, I was trying things, but nine is when I started writing poetry. I was influenced by the English language almost immediately. Because I had been learning English for about a year and I had been communicating with my peers and everything. And so I think the language is definitely a given. But I think something that's really important to consider is that the cultural aspect. It's more than just the language. I had to, I had, I grew up with two entirely different, like, worldviews. I'm still very French. I can, when I complain in the metro, I, I realize how French I, I can be at times. But I'm also so not French sometimes in terms of socializing and worldviews and just so many other things. I have very Anglophone habits now as well. And I think writing, the process of writing, whether it was in French or in English, I had to kind of blend these things together. And it was sometimes difficult because I didn't know who I was. I was kind of divided. Um, but in terms of the writing, I think it was opposite to dividing. It was actually enriching my writing. You know, there are common common phrases that I think if you go on any subreddit about fan fiction of writing, there are phrases that everyone that are everyone's pet peeves, right? That their tongues battle for dominance or orbs or whatever. When you when English is your native language, it's kind of easy to fall into these sorts of traps. But I spoke French as well, and I have a whole entire world of idioms and metaphors that are very specifically French that I can use to source imagery from and then switch to English. So I think in terms of this, it has really enriched enriched the way that I write, um, mostly in terms of imagery, but also in terms of dialogue. Another another issue that I have I have with French, it's very restrictive language. Like, don't get me wrong, it's evolving, but the problem is that in terms of of the French literature, it's very limited to a very sort of ethnocentric view of French, which doesn't allow for. A, a lot of diversity even though the French language is evolving itself. English is so much freer in that way and I think it has loosened my, my tongue so to speak uh, whereas you know and I think that has help balance things out. I really have, I feel like I have maybe not, maybe not a great, I'm not a great writer, but I have a distinctive voice and style, both culturally and like in terms of the actual writing itself. Yeah, I think that's like very interesting. And I like what you said about how French feels more strict because I completely agree. I very rarely read in French now, but when I used to, it, and, and obviously like writing, it feels like, <laughs> I think I put this in a comment at one point, but it's like the Académie Française is like looking over my shoulder. <laughs> like Exactly, yeah. So for those who don't have context, the Académie Française is like um it's like a government body uh that is in charge of like making the dictionary and they have very, very strict views about like what words should be and like how they should be spelled and all of these things which are just like very strict and kind of are reflected in like the broader genre and the broader literature and like for me English you know like even today in French you rarely for instance like in English I write present tense in French you rarely ever see anything written present present tense like it's just not done or very very like like sporadically done and I think for me personally there's like a freedom in English that I don't find in French which is also the reason why I write in English yeah absolutely the only way I found freedom in French is if I you know if I move away from all the kind of traditional literature that we have which is hard because it's so overwhelming. Um, but there is, there is, you know, there's very small alcove in a way of new writers who are, you know, adding all this diversity from like the slang of certain areas to the language and who are writing in present tense and who are doing all these things. But it's still difficult to, for that scene to be at the forefront. It's still very difficult to make a place yourself. And you'd have to come from a certain socioeconomic background uh, to make it as a writer in France, mm -hmm. which is very frustrating, I think. And for that reason, um, I like English better. It's easy. I mean, obviously, it's hard to be published in, in, the, in, you know, in English-speaking countries as well. 
obviously, it's there's still going to be obstacles for people who are from a different socioeconomic background, for people who are, you know, people of color and women and people who are poor and didn't have access to educational connections, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's still easier to do than it would be in France. Because in France, you'll have once a year, one person who is like the diversity staple token of, of literature that are lauded, even though when you read between the lines of their text, they're not necessarily saying anything that goes against the establishment. It's just that they look the part. And that's, and that's not against them. That's just against the people who pick that one person when there are, you know, so many other voices that could say something interesting and that no one is hearing because yeah. you know, there are so many roadblocks in place for them to be able to speak it, you know? Yeah, 100%. And so I was wondering, like, more on technicalities as well of, like, you know, being a writer online and, like, um, especially writing fan fiction. I've noticed that a lot of writers, and I definitely used to do that, a lot of writers actually say, like, in their AN, I'm not a native speaker, this is not my first language or whatever. Is that something that you do? Is that something that you used to do? What do you think about that? No, I don't do it. I am certified C2 in English. Um, I used to teach it to kids in school. I don't really have, like, I, I have an accent that it's a little weird, but it's not really French. Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of odd. People are like, I'm not sure this is from, I'm not sure exactly where this is from, but they don't pinpoint it in French ever. It's not, yeah. French doesn't come to them. So for me, you know, I'm on the same level in English and in French. And I do say, it, like, I, on my, I, I used to have Twitter uh, on fandom. I'm not really on Twitter anymore. But when I was on there, I used to say that I'm French as a way to kind of make certain jokes or explain, you know, things that frustrate me about Paris, for example. But it was never to kind of, quote unquote, excuse my writing. Because I believe that I'm fluent enough in English that I can mm -hmm. write it without it being considered or without having to justify that it's my second language. I completely agree. I personally used to do the disclaimer up until, I think up until 2013, which is the first time I actually moved to Ireland and actually like started living living here and living abroad and living outside France and then like I don't know I was still doing it and then something in me was like do you know what you live in a different country you are completely able to like go about your day in it most people can't even tell you're French why do you keep apologizing for yourself in fanfic do you know what I mean and I think because I think there's like um not stigma but you know like people kind of a apologizing for existing like oh I'm so sorry my English is so bad like most people who do that are like you have to acknowledge the fact that and, and this is no hate to people who speak na English as a native language but a lot of people don't even speak another language let alone like are fluent enough to write in it so if you're fluent enough to write in it and like you get a beta or like you know you're able to get on without making any major mistakes then there's not really a need to, like, apologize for just, like, existing. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I, I think it's not, like, I think there's definitely a, a sort of xenophobia, sometimes it's racism, sometimes it's both, that, that is directed towards people who, you know, who learn English as second language. It's Of course, it sounds more impressive when you're usually white from Western Europe, but a lot of people learn English uh, and they're not from, from Western Europe and they're not white. And so they, they, they are judged. It's a very common thing. And I'm not even saying, like, even French people, French people are very, very culpable of this as well towards oh people who are learning French. Oh my god, French people are the worst. They're the worst. And they're even, you know, they don't speak English well, but they will correct you on your English, which I find mind-blowing. <laughs> you don't even speak it fluent. I speak it better than you, and I would never do this. If I see someone struggling to learn English or French, I would just be hyping them up and helping them if they need help. And just like, you know, I don't... But I think there really is, and I think it's very specific to Western white countries that have like a, a language that's sort of like majority in the world, like French is very widely spoken across the world. English obviously is the most spoken, I think, language in the world. Um, that have this sort of like superiority complex of towards people who are learning their language, and especially if these people don't look like them. And so I think that there's a, a, a knowledge about that. So a lot of people are going to be defensive automatically, like please come for me this is my second language which is I think a way to prevent mm -hmm. some of the abuse that could be you know hurled at them so I can't fault them for this but I also wish they didn't have to do it you know yeah 100% I completely agree and so I was again something that kind of came up when I was uh, researching reddit is like 
it seems like there's a lot of people who are actually or partially translating. So like they'll write, you know, fan fiction in German or whatever, and then they'll translate it in English. How do you feel about that? Because I know you said, and I, I'm the same, like I write in English directly. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't translate like whole sentences or whatever. But like, do you actually translate? And like, what do you translate and that kind of thing? So I actually worked as a translator. Mm -hmm. I never do I never did translation in terms of my own work, my own fiction. Um, I'm always writing straight away in the language that I'm, I want, I intend for it to be in. But I worked as a translator and I have a huge amount of admiration for people who start writing in one language and then translate. It's not worse or better, but it's a completely different process. It, it's absolutely not the same thing. Translating, you know, it's an entire job for that reason. It's not just writing from like one language to another. Obviously, when it's your own voice and your own style, it's easier when than when someone else's. But it's definitely just a different process. And I, I definitely would think that it gives you certain skills, but it would also not help you learn skills if you try to write it directly. In the same way that writing directly will not give you the skills that translating would give you. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, like, what are your kind of tips and tricks to sort of write in another language? Like, what do you think is, like, essential? Like, do you use a beta? Do you use, like, Grammarly? Do you do certain research? Like, what do you think are, like, kind of the key to writing in another language? So I don't recommend Grammarly just for the reason that it sanitizes writing a lot. Yes. Thank you. Right? It does. It removes style and it removes uh, the personal voice. Yeah, 100%. I don't, I don't like it. I think having taught grammar um, to kids uh, and teenagers when I was teaching English, it's a lot better to go through books. Now, I get it. They're more difficult to access and they're more difficult to understand. So I understand why people would default to Grammarly. It's an easy user interface. Like, I get it. I'm not blaming anyone for doing it. But if you can, if you have the resources uh, to get grammar books, actual grammar books and exercises to train, and there are lots of exercises online that you can do, uh, without, like, separating it entirely from the writing, I think that's a good thing. I also don't think it's that important to be good at grammar. For the sole reason that English, it's such, you know, it's such a wildly spoken language that it has hundreds of variations across the world. In Singapore, they have Singlish, which is a perfectly valid language of its own, has a completely different grammar structure. It has, because it has, you know, elements of Mandarin that are into it, and I think also all other languages. And people who live in Singapore, they speak Singlish, and they're not less valid as English speakers just because their English sounds different. I think... It's good to know the grammar, it's helpful, and it's definitely less stressful. But if you can say something and be understood in like what you mean is understood, grammar isn't that important. There are tons of literary devices that are all about deconstructing the grammar. So for me, grammar isn't even most important. However, I do recommend having a beta if you're unsure, just at least for the connection that it has, and you have an actual person there who is able to tell you what to do, and it's a lot more reassuring. Another like final tip that I have is to it's to really just kind of get out of your own head. Just write what you want, do it, then look at it, read it again, and kind of try and just see what makes you unique in your voice. And if that includes certain grammar mistakes, yeah, that's fine. There's always going to be an asshole to tell you, oh, well, that's incorrect. You should have done this differently. Fine. But the truth is, there are so many authors, even in literature. Raymond Cuno is one of the most famous French authors. He published an entire novel, it sucks by the way, but it was super well received at the time, called Zezibon Mitro. It's filled with spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes, it's terrible. But because he was, you know, a literature dude from the academy, oh, you know what? It's great, it's brilliant, it's genius. And, you know, that book sucks, I still I still hate it to this day. But it proves that really, language is, is it's a living thing. So, I don't think, I think if people want to be using tools to reassure themselves about their spelling and their grammar, that's perfectly fine and well, and I don't have a problem with that. But it's also okay to depart from this and be like, as long as the meaning and the intent of what you're doing is going through to the audience and the reader, then you're doing fine. And, you know, at least 
the best thing is just use a good dictionary, at least, you know, for the meaning of words. Word reference online is my favorite, and it also has a great forum for very specific questions. Yeah, 100%. I would definitely agree with what you said about having a beta. Also because, so when I was writing the, when I was writing for The Good Wife, which was a few years ago, I did have a beta and she did teach me a lot about like English punctuation, which I didn't, didn't necessarily know a lot about. And like certain vocabulary and things that I was getting wrong. And I think the good thing about having a beta, if you can, obviously I know that like you need to match with someone and you need to find someone who you actually trust and things. But that's the advantage of having a beta is that that kind of feedback on like your language skills is going to come from someone you actually trust and respect versus some rando in a comment who's just rude about it. Because once like your your mistakes are ironed out by that beta, then it is, you know, like you're not going to get those comments anymore. And I think that's so great because you're actually learning at the same time and you're actually learning from someone you respect and someone you trust and someone who you know will improve both your language skills and your writing. So I'll definitely like as much, I do use Grammarly and I do use like word reference and translations and like tools that we have to kind of test out certain things or like, you know, like sometimes usually uh, just before publishing, I'll just like run the text through Grammarly just to make sure that the sort of mistakes that are there are intentional versus like the random like miss spelled world or word or whatever that I might have. But generally speaking, I think having a beta is like much more helpful than any online tool that you can get. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't have anything against those tools and, and they're great if they can help. Um, but I definitely think human connection in the form of a beta, but also in form of like joining communities, speaking with people in that language, uh, it's just going to be so much easier and it's going to be so much more comforting. And in the long run, it's going to improve faster and better than if it was just using, you know, online tools. Obviously, the question of accessibility is is going to be is going to be an important one but if you can find you know a beta and then a community a discord server twitter whatever it is that you that you want to use um it's definitely going to be better i think just because languages evolve and they're they're living things and so they have to be spoken by and with living people really yeah 100 and so i was wondering the last kind of question that i wanted to ask you is more about like creativity and i know you've mentioned that you personally think that like you know having both languages and both cultures sort of like is such a great thing for your writing and it kind of fosters and feeds your writing I was wondering I saw a lot of people and I'm definitely a little bit on that board of people who say that if you write in a language that is not your own or that is not your native language you're going to have like sort of an emotional distance with the work that you're producing. And it's kind of the same thing as like, you know, you might say I love you in English versus je t'aime in French. And depending on where you're from, that might not have the same meaning to you. Like a lot of people say, for instance, that if you speak to a baby, they can tell if it's your first or your second language because there's not that much emotional, like the emotional drive within that language is different. And so I was wondering if like that's something that you've experienced in your writing and if that's something that you kind of consider in terms of, you know, the, the does your French writing, for instance, have like a different emotional charge to your writing in English and things like that? So different is the word I would use, but I wouldn't say either has more. I'm a very, I'm a bit of a particular mm -hmm. case, right? I mean, we moved when I was eight, so I had only been speaking one language for eight years, but then I was suddenly immersed in a new culture. And so so I learned to express emotion pretty much just as intensive, like just as intensely in both languages. I can be very passionate in French and in English, but in different ways. Because, well, first of all, you know, I spoke French at home. The kind of emotions that you have with your parents and your sister and just like home emotions are one thing. And then there was like school emotions and, you know, like first crushes and friends and stuff like that. So there are different sets of emotions. That, that was one thing. The other thing is pronunciation is such a huge thing in emotion that's something that I learned um when I say I'm gonna use a, a swear word right now but I kind of have to make my point when I say putain in French there's this kind of sound u and un you, they don't exist in English and these sounds are very 
emotionally charged in a very specific way in French. But because you don't have that pronunciation in English, you're not going to be able to replicate the exact same emotion. And this is, I think, also why some languages have specific words to describe emotion that don't exist in other languages, right? So it's definitely different. In terms of my actual writing, like when I want to pick an emotion, um, because it's all in my mind and pronunciation doesn't really matter as much, um, and I'm kind of thinking in both languages, it doesn't matter as much for me. Because in the end, the words I'm going to be typing are in English, but I might have to thought in French at first. It's kind of, it's, but the thing is, for me, it's so visceral and it's so, it's such, it's just like a, a huge gut feeling. I have a really hard time saying, well, this emotion feels, you know, better in French and this emotion feels better in English. I don't have the ability to differentiate, you know, personally speaking. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it's funny what you're saying about uh, swear words because, so I live in Ireland. Most of my life is in English. Like my friends, like in my job, every person I interact with, obviously my writing is in English as well. The media that I consume is in English. Like, I'm actually losing my French. It's actually like a crisis. Every time I go back to France, my mom is like, you don't speak French anymore, <laughs> which is also very awkward because my mom doesn't speak English at all. So it's like sometimes I'll be like stuck on the word for like ages being like, I don't know what I'm saying. But at the same time, I think it, the funny thing is my road rage is still in French. I have been living in this country for almost like 10 years now, but every time like a car crosses in front of me and they shouldn't, I'm like, connard! <laughs> yeah, French, I think it's really a language of anger. And it's not to say there are bad swear words, like there are no good swear words in English. There are plenty. And like having, you know, having spoken English in, in very like personal situations, I've used a lot of them. But in French, there's something very satisfying about the way that they're said and the way they're pronounced that feels it's, it, um, it creates more catharsis than it does in English. And I remember there was a study about this. I, however, cannot remember exactly who was studying who did it, but there was definitely a study done by linguists about the entire thing, uh, of why French pronunciation of swear words and these very, like, the edges, you know, in the words, the ech and u and on, these very, like, very guttural sounds have some sort of, they provoke actual physical relief. And they do. Like, it's a, it's a real thing. And, and, and I find that so fascinating, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, and that's so funny because um, a lot of people, like when you hear people talk about like English speaking people who don't speak French, they always say it sounds so romantic. And I'm like, does it? <laughs> no, we sound angry all the time. I know that I sound a lot nicer in English than I ever do in French. Same, same. Um, anyway, I I think we're going to wrap up now because it's a I think we've talked a lot and I, this has been like a fascinating uh, discussion. But um, I was wondering if, um, you know, you had one piece of advice, not necessarily about like language or anything, but if you had one piece of advice to someone who's thinking of writing fanfic or, you know, like any kind of doing any writing or whatever, what's what's your one advice you'd give? I, I My one advice is, don't listen to other people. There are going to be different rules for everyone and everybody's going to have a very different opinion. But the most important thing is that you start writing with what you want to write, what really evokes the most emotion and passion in you. And everything after that is editing. And you can do it with other people if you want, but your first instinct and your first draft and your first lines, they have to come from you entirely and don't focus too much on what other people have to say because it will block you more than it will, like, foster what you want to write very very true and do you have any recommendations to give our listeners fanfics books about writing anything you like i have two recommendations one of them is a method if anything it's not really a book um but it's one that i find super helpful it's called the benjamin franklin method and if you type it on the internet you should be able to find it but essentially the method is that you pick an extract from the book and there are seven steps where you have to deconstruct it, then rewrite it from memory, rewrite it in a different, like, if it's prose, you have to do poetry, etc., etc. It helps you learn how someone wrote something. If you, sometimes you read something and you're like, that's beautiful, I don't know how they did it. This is the way you find out how. So it's a great way to kind of learn from other writers. Mm. The other one is a book. It's a really beautiful book I really recommend. It's called A Swim in the Pond in the Rain by George Saunders. 
it's a book where he so he's a creative uh, writing professor uh, in the U.S. And he takes from four Russian writers and he basically breaks down the emotion and, and the writing of these four like Russian classic writers. And it's, I think I cried reading that book. I legit cried, even though it's a book about like method writing. It is absolutely beautiful and it's a great way of connecting with emotion in your writing. That's great to hear. Uh, you guys can find the links to all these uh, in the show notes. What I will recommend, so um, I have been, this is June right now, so maybe this is outdated for a lot of people, uh, but Borgen has released a new season on Netflix. Um, if you don't know this show, it's a Danish show about politics and it's very, very well done. And if you like TV and if you like like quirky European, continental European shows and like strong female leads, uh, I would definitely recommend Borgin. Uh, so I'll link that in the show notes as well. And so Barbie, it was great, great, great talking to you. Where can we find you online? Thank you. So I'm on Tumblr right now. It's kind of inactive, but it's there. Um, Venomous Barbie. That's just a zero instead of the second O. And I will be back on Twitter at some point. But for now, I'm just on a little bit of a break. But I will be back. I'm also Venomous Barbie on Discord if you ever want to chat directly on there. That's fine. That's great. And your AO3 is Venomous Barbie as well, right? Yes, it's all the same. Okay, that's great. You're like me. I'm the same. Some people are like original and then there's like me. Um, <laughs> no, I need the coherence of everything or I get yeah. lost. <laughs> Yeah, so as you guys know, I'm Pebbly Sen online uh, at Tumblr and AO3. And you can find the podcast at thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com. We always love to hear from your comments, your suggestion. And if, like Barbie, you'd like to be featured in an, ep- in an episode and discuss a particular topic or even your work, feel free to reach out to us through our Ask box. This was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on here, Joe. It was really great, really interesting. It was so great. Okay, bye everyone. Bye.